Good morning, everybody. Good morning to everyone online. Happy Father's Day to our fathers that are here this morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you online as well. Do we have any fathers that have got received any socks for Father's Day yet? Yes, some hands going up. Yes. My dad was the best socks receiver father ever. He always just showed so much joy when we gave him socks. Um, so I can't wait for that moment as a dad when I get my socks as a father. Probably shouldn't say that too loud, hey, because then my wife will just give me socks, which is fine. Um, I also actually just want to take a moment just to recognize <clears throat> that on Father's Day, um, sometimes there might be some people who, who don't get to celebrate it as some people do, in, in the sense that maybe um, they don't have a father, or maybe um, they, far, they haven't had a relationship with their father. Um, to the point where they want to celebrate that or be excited about that or honor their father. Or maybe we have um, some men here who are still trusting and believing to be a father. And I want to encourage you to and remind you that we here at this church serve the father of all fathers. And I want to remind you to, to stay strong. And we want to be strong with you. We want to stand with you. And we want to be praying with you. Um, Especially to, to all of those people, we, want, we just want you to know that you're here at the right place and, uh, and that we're going to be talking about a father who loves you, a father who has a plan for you, and a father who has a purpose for you. And, and he is the father of all fathers. Um, so I just felt, just wanted to get that off my chest. Hope that's okay. So for those of you who I don't know or haven't met, haven't met yet, my name is Kelvin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And then I look after New Life Online, um, which is just an awesome ministry, which we've done for quite a while as a church. But of recent, it's become something which now we have more of a focus on, realizing that God is bringing so many people to Him through this online ministry. And I'm in a conversation with a number of churches around Australia, as well as in America at the moment, um, talking about church online and how that looks for different churches. And it has been so encouraging hearing the stories of how people are coming to know Jesus through this online ministry. Um, and so as we roll this out, as we work out how this looks for New Life Church, we'll keep those of you who are, um, are in the room, who, who gather here physically, we'll keep you in the loop of how that looks and how that works out. Um, I also look after Alpha across all three of our churches, Brisbane, Rabina, and Coolangatta. Um, and it has been so encouraging working with people who are so passionate about evangelism, passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus. Um, we're actually running our next Alpha um, online in October. And the best thing about online is there's no limitations. So there's no limits. So if you've got any family in Sydney, any family in Melbourne um, who need to know Jesus or who wanting to know more about Jesus or who don't go to church, send them the link. Let them know that we're doing Alpha Online, um, and we would love to have them a part of that. And then uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Dana. Um, she's out there now with John running Pathways, and we have our passionate little two-year-old, very energetic little two-year-old Palmer, who's running around there in bubs as well. So I'm excited to share with you this morning um, where, where I believe, or what I believe God has put in my heart for our series, Rework, where we're looking at what it looks like to partner with God in our nine to five. And as we've heard over the past few weeks, it's not a matter of what we do during the hours of nine to five, or it doesn't matter about our vocation or our career or our hobby, but what matters is how we are partnering with God with whatever we are doing during that time. And so I don't want you to switch off if you maybe aren't passionate about what you do for work, or maybe you're still looking for a job at the moment. 
I don't want you to switch off because it doesn't matter what we do during the hours of nine to five. What matters is how we're partnering with God. And so today we're looking at what I believe to be one of the most vital ingredients to do ministry. Yes, I said to do ministry. For example, just because I resigned from Bond University one and a half years ago to take up a full-time position with the church doesn't mean that my role now in the church is any different other than maybe my tasks and responsibilities. I'm still working for Jesus as I did at Bond. I'm still working with people as I did at Bond. I still get the opportunity to pray with and for colleagues, for friends, for family, for stakeholders as I did at Bond. I still get to glorify God around a board table. I'm still doing the work of God as I did at Bond. So both Bond and working at the church are a, forms of, are a form of ministry. So it doesn't matter, again, I say it doesn't matter what we do, but what matters is how we are partnering with God. And in order for us to partner with God from nine to five and every other time for that matter, we need to be in conversation with God, which brings me to the topic of my sermon this morning, prayer as mission. Prayer is absolutely vital to our professional lives, irrespective of what we do. And I believe prayer is the means through which God moves amongst our work. A while ago, quite some time ago, uh, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a colleague. And we went on this journey over quite a while where she ended up coming to church. She ended up committing her life to Christ. Her life was changed. There was, she was full of joy. Um, she, she was baptized. And then there came a stage where we never saw her again. We never saw her church. Um, and because I don't work at Bond anymore, I never saw her. So I, God put it on my heart to send her a text message and follow up and just see how she was going. And I forgot to do that. So then God obviously put it on my wife's heart. And Dana came to me and said, babe, I think you should message that person. Just check how they're going. And I went, okay, obviously God is talking. So I sent her a message and I got no response. And to be honest, I totally forgot about it. And then literally last week, my father-in-law gave me a phone call and said, guess who I've just had an appointment with? Excuse me. My father-in-law has his own company, he sells solar. And out of all his appointments over, across Queensland, he happened to meet with this particular person. And somehow in the conversation, it came up that I'm his son-in-law and, that, and, they, and they put the two and two together. So God obviously had a plan for Brett in order to meet this person, to remind her that she is loved, to remind her that she is called, to remind her that she has a purpose and that she's, she should come back to church. He got to encourage her to come back to church. So for Brett, he realized that in order to be used by God, he needs to be in regular communication with God, knowing that his appointments aren't always just about selling solar. Brett knew that prayer was the means through which God moves amongst his work. And Paul Miller, in his book called Praying Life, writes, prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. And I believe it is so important for us as Jesus' apprentices, his hands and feet on earth, irrespective of what we do from nine to five, irrespective of our age, whether you're 13 or 93, to be in regular conversation with God in order to experience and connect to God. And I believe this message is for everyone. And you might be thinking, Kelvin, thank you, brother, but my prayer life is A-OK. -okay. Or you might be thinking, Kelvin, I'm actually here for the first time and trying to work out who you guys were singing to. I want to remind you, if you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you about a God 
a creator, a miracle worker who is so vast, who is so big, yet he wants to be in conversation with you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Or for those maybe who are new Christians and perhaps don't spend regular time in prayer, I pray that you're encouraged to go deeper and to prioritize time with the Father, coming to understand the tools that we have been provided to be in conversation with God and why it is so vital to our lives. And then for those who are maybe seasoned Christians, I pray that these tools are also a reminder and that they enrich your prayer life and you're reminded of how prayer is a means through which God moves amongst our work. And so what I would like to do for the remainder of our time is look at what it means to pray and how we should pray, particularly in the context of work. And I don't know about you, but the times that I've spent in prayer have been so much more valuable than time not spent in prayer. And I think prayer can be simple. It's simply a conversation with God, right? But I think it can also be complicated. Do we bring our Christmas list with all of our struggles, with all of our thoughts, all of our requests? Or do we tell God how frustrated we are with that person who cut us off in traffic or that colleague who maybe said something that we didn't appreciate? Or do we pray before eating? Do we pray before bed? How does this work? How does this look? So what I would like to do is actually look at some tools that I believe God has given us to structure and form our prayers so that we can be, have a rich prayer life with Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Or Martin Luther, he says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Sure. What's my excuse, right? And sometimes it helps to actually look at what other great leaders, leaders did to see if something is effective. And so what I would like to do is actually look at what one of the greatest leaders, actually what the greatest leader, modeled for us when it came to prayer. And this leader would often withdraw to quiet places. He would often spend the whole night in prayer. He would always prioritize time in prayer over meetings and tasks. And he knew prayer was the means through which God moved, moved amongst his work. And I don't need to say much more for you to realize that this is Jesus. And we see this all through Scripture. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 6 verse 12, he spent the whole night praying to God. 9, 18, when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him. 9, 28, went up on the mountain to pray. We see right through Scripture that prayer was absolutely vital to the work of Jesus. Prayer was the center point for his morning routine. His weekly schedule was dripping with prayer. He made time for it. He would stay up all night for it. To him, it was more important than sleep. Is prayer more important than sleep to us? Prayer wasn't a drag for Jesus or, or a to-do list. He enjoyed it. He loved it. He would encounter God and be transformed by it. And therefore, we should be asking ourselves, why was prayer so important to Jesus? And if it was so important to Jesus, should it be as important to us? And I would say, absolutely. And can I be honest with you? When I am not regularly spending time in prayer, not only do I feel it, but my family does too. It may not always be easy to settle into a time of peaceful, focused prayer, but the times when I do are an absolute game changer, a game changer for my faith a game changer for my relationships, 
a game changer for my work, a game changer for my overall life. Why? Because I have more patience. The more time I spend with God, the more patience I have. I have more joy. I have more peace. I hear God more often, and I'm blessed because of it. Not blessed because of things that fall out of the sky. Blessed because I'm hearing from God. I'm being used by God. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's smooth sailing every day. For some reason, sometimes when I, when I sit down to pray or I come to God to pray, I feel like I don't have the words. Or I have 100 other things spinning through my mind that I just can't actually focus on the things that I'm wanting to pray about. But what I have found when it comes to prayer is some sort of structure always helps. Some sort of routine always helps. Not military structure, but just a, just a small bit of structure. And what I loved about Jesus is not only is he the master of prayer, but he teaches the disciples some structure in Luke 11 verse 1. When the disciples come to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And before we get to that, what I love about the disciples asking Jesus to teach, him, teach them to pray is that out of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only time that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them anything. The only time. So they didn't come, to teach him, didn't come and ask him to teach him how to preach, or teach him how to heal the sick, or teach him how to raise the dead, or teach him how to respond to people as quick as he does with difficult questions. They asked him to teach them to pray. So why this question? I wonder if his disciples, his apprentices, started to catch that Jesus' entire work, healing the sick, loving the lonely, caring for the lost, raising the dead, teaching the crowds, you name it, was rooted in his life with the Father and rooted in his prayer. And so they start to ask, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so Jesus responds, and he responds by teaching them the Lord's Prayer, which so many of us know so well. But personally, and in the words of John Mark Comer, I don't believe that the Lord's Prayer is a liturgy for us to recite as much as it is actually a template for us to follow. So meaning, I don't think Jesus' intention is for us to wake up in the morning or go to sleep at night, fumble our way through the Lord's Prayer. I think it's more a template for us to follow along with in our prayer life. And there's a flow to the Lord's Prayer that is strategic. We see Him starting with Father in heaven. All around me, hallowed be your name. Uh, sorry, your good intentions towards me. Hallowed be your name. You are the source of all. There is none like you. Your kingdom come. Your way is better than any other. We want to see you have your way here on earth. Your will be done. I turn my will over to you. doesn't mean I don't have desire or ambitions. It just means my priorities are different to the world's priorities. And then and only then does Jesus start to pray for daily bread. Petitioning for needs, wants, for forgiveness. Lead me not into temptation. Keep me away from bad things. Keep me in safety and security. What a beautiful framework. And I think with this framework, it's the perfect framework for our prayers as mission or for our prayers on mission. And I think a great way to start is actually breaking this up into three parts. And that's what I would like to finish with for the rest of the sermon is looking at three ways we could break up the Lord's Prayer. Adoration, intercession, and petition. And so a quick disclaimer here, we could do a full series on prayer alone or we could do a full series on the Lord's Prayer. 
But that's not what we actually have time for, for today. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to take a quick glimpse at this. But I want to encourage you, if there's something tugging on your heart going, I actually want to know more. I actually want to go deeper on relationship and conversing with God. I encourage you to take a look at some resources out there. There are some excellent resources when it comes to looking at prayer. And one of those is the prayer course. So if you Google the prayer course, there's an excellent resource online. It's eight weeks, and it, takes you, it goes deep into looking at what prayer is. So let's look at how we can learn from the way Jesus teaches his disciples to pray so that we can apply it in our own lives and become weapons for Jesus in our spheres of influence. Does that sound all right? Great. So first point, adoration. Okay, Jesus encourages his disciples to start their prayer with our Father who art in heaven. And by Jesus teaching them to start with this, he's teaching them to begin their prayers with worship and with adoration. And I want to pause there and just let that sink in. Because starting our prayers with worship and adoration is praising and adoring Him. And if we were to zoom in on adoration, I'd see that as coming to the Father, not to get something from Him, but to give Him something. To give Him our love and our affection. And what a great way to start our prayers. What a great posture to start anything for that matter. Not coming to gain, but to give. And by addressing God as our Father implies something powerful, that God isn't a distant, absent God who we approach in times of need. No, He's our Father who wants to have an intimate relationship with us, and He longs to be in relationship with you. In fact, while I, when I was preparing this, I felt God wanted to highlight to those who haven't actually had an earthly father, who, who has maybe modeled sacrificial love, but to rather, maybe rather the opposite, when you think of Father, that word's tainted to you. And I really got a sense that God wants to remind you and actually break that over your life, remind you that He is your Father, that you are His son, you are His daughter. He does have a plan for you. He does love you. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, it says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And so if that's you, the enemy knows how deadly this position is for him, for us to look to God as our heavenly father. And so he seeks to harm and destroy that relationship between us and God in any way that he can. And don't let him. We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. And so I'd love to pray for you at the end of the service, and we'll provide, we'll provide a moment to do that. And so if that's you, I really encourage you just to start posturing your heart, going, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready for that to change because I really believe that God wants to break that over your life today. All right, so going back. So after our Father who art in heaven, does everyone know what comes next? Come on. We come to that interesting sentence, hallowed be your name. What does that even mean? It means to set apart as holy. That word holy can also be a bit tricky. We think of the word holy as a moral word, which it is, but in both Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, it's not only moral, but it has an aesthetic sense to it. It's about good. It's about beautiful. It's being true. To be holy literally means to be unique and special without any parallel in the universe. God is holy. He is good. He is beautiful. He is true. He is unique. There is no other being like God, no other parallel in the universe. 
And there is so much more that we can say about that. But something that correlates so well to God being holy is that he is also full of love. He is also full of joy and he is also full of peace. And by starting our prayers in adoration, we take a moment to put our focus on these attributes of God. And I want to challenge you here. If you aren't experiencing, respectfully challenge you, if you aren't experiencing love, joy, or peace, maybe in your own life, maybe in your family, how much time are you giving to God to fill you with his love, to fill you with his joy, to fill you with his peace? Paul in Galatians 5 writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, meaning the byproduct of the Spirit of God in you when you abide in his presence is love, is joy, and is peace. And I don't know about you, but I want to be someone that carries God's love, carries his peace everywhere that I go, not only for me, but for others. The one particular day, my previous role, I was meeting with a client, and that meeting had come to an end, and I felt this whisper, as I was about to end the meeting, I felt this whisper to have a look at this particular lady's company name on a glass window, glass front window. And I thought, that's really random. So I had a look, looked at, the, looked at her company's brand and her name, and, uh, and I sort of just came back to the conversation. I'm like, that was so random. And then it came on me again. Have a look at her company name on her window. So I looked at it, and I was like, Lord, if this is you, that is extremely random that you just wanted me to look there. So I came back to the conversation. And as I came back to the conversation, he said, ask her about it. I was like, all right. Hey, your company name, interesting. Can you tell me a bit more about it? And she ended up to, went into the story of her company name, and, it, and she had this beautiful story of how she came to know Christ, and through that whole journey, she came up with her company's name. And in that particular moment, in that season, her, fa- her and her family were going through a really difficult t- stage, to the point where they were really questioning God, and they were getting frustrated with God. And as she started telling me the story, the peace of God began to fall in that room. And it was so obvious that God was wanting to speak to this particular person and remind her that God's peace um, surpasses all understanding. And and it was really encouraging just to have that moment to be able to pray with her and encourage her. So when we set aside time from our over-busy lives, we take a few deep breaths and we pray, we start to sense the love of God from us. Sorry, the love of God for us. We start to sense the love of God for other people for our friends, for our enemies. We start to sense joy through stress, through anxiety. We start to settle, feel his peace and contentment. And by spending time in prayer, we are tapping into the spirit who is love, who is joy and who is peace and many other beautiful things. And Jesus is saying the main point, not the only point, isn't to ask God for stuff. It's just to be with the Father. Tim Keller says, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God, and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer, to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble, or when some relationships or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it doesn't occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time admiring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see Him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, He has not become our happiness. 
So by starting our prayer with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, we are starting with adoring and worshiping our Father, approaching him in a posture to give him our full attention, love and worship, which then leads to intercession, interceding with others. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and this, my friends, is a bold prayer to pray. To pray for his kingdom is to renounce the kingdoms of the world and align ourselves with his redemptive purposes for this world. It is to let him have his way in our lives. And giving him full unrestricted control for our lives, this means giving up the things of this world and being sold out for Jesus. Aligning with God, chasing God, and not chasing the things of this world. And if as a believer, our faith or our mission with God gets shoved to the bottom of our priorities, then we will never learn the gift that prayer is to our lives and we will always live barren. And I don't know about you, but I wanna live an exciting life for Jesus, not a barren one for myself. So your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is saying the main way that the kingdom of God will come on earth is through prayer. Not hard work, not striving, not intellect, prayer, meaning your prayers change reality. So when you're praying, are you praying knowing and believing that your prayers have the power to change reality? Or are we praying for the sake of praying? And so when we pray, we should come with a holy tremor in our minds and bodies because we are about to change reality, or at least we have the potential to. We're about to partner with the Spirit of God to bend reality in the direction of God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. So how does this look practically? When we come to intercession, we can be praying for a number of things. And I know so many of us have different models or frameworks, but I want to encourage those who maybe don't to start looking at what other frameworks out there that can help you with structuring your prayer time. So for me, I find what helps me with intercession is focusing outwards and then coming in. So looking at the big church, the big C church, churches around the world, churches in Australia, praying for New Life, the leadership, praying for Mark, then coming in on governments. We are so blessed here in Australia to have a prime minister and the mayor who knows the will and the way of God. So we can be praying for their quiet times, that God will be speaking to them, that God will be leading them. We can be praying for their colleagues. We can pray, be praying that Scott has, Scott has opportunities to share the gospel with his colleagues. We can be praying for his, his um, leaders that are leading beside him. And then we can be praying for our institution. Praying for your boss, for your colleagues, that they'll come to know Jesus or that their hearts will be softened to his ways or that God will give you wisdom in meetings or opportunities to share his love and his plans and purpose for your colleagues. And then for our family. So no priority. It's not looking at priorities, what's more important. It's just focus, for me, it's focusing what's outside and then coming in what's closest to me. So intercession is not coming to God in a meek, doubtful posture. It's coming to him boldly. It's coming to him knowing that we are entering a moment where we are aligning ourselves with God's redemptive purposes for this world, for our lives, knowing that prayer is the means through which God moves amongst our work. And this leads us to the next part of the Lord's Prayer, where simple asking follows. So we've discussed adoration, where we start our prayer with adoring our Heavenly Father, then intercession, bold prayers interceding for others. And then my third and final point, petition. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice that there is a real simplicity in asking. Only for daily bread. The necessities. 1 John 5, 14 to 15. says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, if we ask anything, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. That's quite a mouthful, but you get the gist of it. So this is saying a person who hallows his name is someone who is concerned only with his kingdom and is intent on his will being done, not ours, his will. And then this is true. Ask and you shall receive. Ask, and it will be given to you. Jesus leads his disciples to ask for simple things, and we can see this in that first part of that sentence. This should show us what should actually be important to us in life. It's pretty challenging. And Paul even shows us with this um, when he's in prison. In Philippians 4, verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul is modeling what it looks like to be simple with our desires and engrossed in heavenly things to the point that earthly needs are so few. And Paul learned what it means to be content. Some people never learn what it means to live in contentment. And we're always chasing that next thing. And please don't hear me saying that living in contentment is easy or maybe an easy thing to do, but I wonder if it may be because we're opening our hearts to things around us from Monday to Sunday and not actually opening our hearts to God's word or, his, or, or, or to his presence. So give us this day our daily bread, bread for the present. Are we content? Or are we always comparing ourselves and seeing the greener grass on the other side of the fence? Are we losing our testimony to things such as greed or perhaps social position or promotion? Is our ambition for our peers' approval entitled or is it for God's glory and delight? So the band can start to come up. This quote by um, a Scottish preacher, um, John Phillips. He says, bread for the present, forgiveness for the past, victory for the future. These are the battle rations for the Christian soldier, and they make life simple and content when the order is right. So when God's glory is our supreme concern, everything else fades to the wayside, and the weight of following and seeking God increases in importance, and it is less about what we get out of prayer, and it's more about just being in His presence. And sticking with the theme of C.S. Lewis, he says, prayer in the sense of petition Asking for things, this is a small part of it. Confession and repentance is its threshold. Adoration is its sanctuary. And the presence, vision, and enjoyment of God is the bread and wine. Bread and wine, great combination. 
I don't know about you, but I want to live my life abiding in his presence, knowing that he is sovereign, knowing that he is king of kings and lord of lords, knowing it's not about what I do during nine to five, but it's about how I'm partnering with God to see his hand on everything that I do. And that starts in prayer. Because prayer is the means through which God moves amongst our work. And the reality is that there is a God who wants to not only be with us, but he wants to partner with us. And in order for him to partner with us, we need to abide in him. We need to come to him in regular prayer and conversation. And a great framework for that is to start adoring him as our father. Coming in a posture to give him our love and adoration, not to get something, but to give him something. Then interceding for those around us, asking for God's will to be done, not our own, not our companies, not our schools, but His will. And then petition, asking God for what really matters to us and His will. And before we get into a time of prayer, I want to take a moment just to speak to those who either don't have a relationship with God, and for those who have never really understood prayer as a conversation with God. I want to encourage you to jump in. I want to encourage you to start asking the questions. What is prayer? Start with adoration. Start with adoring Him. If you don't have the words, Google it. Because once you start to realize the, the might of our Heavenly Father, but also the love and the simple things, you start to appreciate Him more. And you actually start to get lost in adoring Him. And then go into intercession, interceding for family, interceding for friends, interceding for government, and then go into petition and forgiveness. Can I ask for all who are able to stand with me? And for those of you who are online, I encourage you to stand or, or maybe move into a posture where, where you can um, put your attention on God. So you're not lying back, comfy on the couch, Get your heart in a posture to receive. And I want to take a moment to wait on God together here in the auditorium with you guys all at home. And I really believe that God is wanting to speak to some people here this morning. I want to allow two different moments of response. When I was preparing this message, it came a moment where I ended up just weeping. And I was telling Anna this during the week. I, just, I was just weeping. And I was in Westfield preparing this message, had my coffee, and people walking past. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? People must think I'm losing it, sobbing over my laptop. And then I just felt God just whisper to me, I'm just giving you a glimpse into how I feel when my sons and daughters don't see me as their father. And so... I really wanted to pray for anyone whose image of a father has maybe been tainted from past hurts and you're unable or you struggle to relate to God as your father or the, or the word father's mentioned and you wonder if you could ever see God that way. I really got a sense when preparing that there are people here and God wants to remind you of his love. He wants to remind you that you are made perfect in his image and you are his daughter, his son. 
and He's got a plan for you. And then the second one is in relation to our Rework series, where every week we have shared moments to honor and commission different vocational spheres. And today we want to highlight family and education. And you can see the different areas that should come up behind me on the screen. So you can see there we have mothers, we have fathers, we have grandparents, guardians, carers, babysitters, childcare workers, students, teachers, teacher aides, educational administrators. If that's you, I'm not asking you, you don't have to put up your hand, but just ask you to respond in your heart. Those two different areas, just respond in your heart. Go, Lord, that's me. And if one of those areas are you, we want to celebrate, we want to honor you, we want to commission you, we want to pray for you. So what I'd love you all to do is join me in bowing your heads, closing your eyes, and let's pray. Firstly, Lord, we say, come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to people right now. particularly that first group who perhaps haven't been able to see you as their father. Lord, we ask you to break that in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, meet them. Let your love fall upon them. Let them see you, the Alpha and the Omega, not as a distant God that they read about in your word, but a father who loves them. Father who created them in His perfect image. Lord, I ask you right now to remove past hurts in Jesus' name and replace it, Lord, with your love, replace it with your joy, and replace it with your peace. And then, Lord, we pray for the second group, our family, those who find themselves in those groups, families and education. Like so many others, where the responsibility lies in teaching, in loving, in leading your people, leading your children, the responsibility of bringing up the next generation, passing on the heritage. Lord, give them wisdom as they take on this responsibility. Give them grace as they are stretched. And in those moments where there may be frustration, Lord, I pray that you'll give them joy. Give them your joy to the point that it is overflowing. And we thank you that these people who are called to raise future generations to lead and to love well. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now gonna go into a time of worship where we're just gonna lift up some of these things. And I wanna encourage you, if that was you, just sit back, stand back, relax, worship as God ministers you and God speaks to you. Thank you.